Um, I came across these two books in the cupboard upstairs this week. Um, Terry Virgo, The Spirit-Filled Church, so relevant to the series that we're going through. So I thought I'd just offer them. If who, Who's not seen this book and would like it? It's yours. There, one for you. Oh, there you go. They were, they were in the, my line of sight. So sorry if you put your hand up over there. <laughs> you needed to wave or shout or something. Okay. We're going to continue in our uh, series today to your advantage. Uh, this afternoon, of course, it's Messy Church, and we do pray, Lord, for your presence and hand on uh, Messy Church this afternoon. We, we ask you to pour out your grace on those young families and that your kingdom will be coming amongst them, those who are part of the church and those who are not yet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, he is present in you. Uh, we spoke about uh, a few weeks ago, John 14, 17. And uh, we've been thinking, haven't we, about being the temple of the Holy Spirit and God indwelling us, uh, which is extraordinary. Streams of living water will flow from within you, Jesus said. And if we just stop and think about the reality of that, what an extraordinary thing that God Almighty himself would come and dwell and live within you and me as believers and followers of Jesus. It is remarkable. Last week, Al spoke about living by the Spirit's power personally. If you were here, you'll remember that he, his message got cut short by time. He did do a little video. It's online. It's available. So if you missed it and want to finish the rest, I'm sure you do, then please do go and find that. And it was in e-news as well. Today, we're going to continue in this series by looking at the living by the Spirit's power together. So last week was personally, today we're going to look more at the together dimension of that as we continue the series. We're going to read, first of all, if you have a Bible with you, from Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm simply going to read a few verses, 19 to 22. Consequently, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, together we are God's household. We are God's temple. We are the very dwelling place of God together, as well as the fact that he lives within each of, each of us personally. You too, he says, are being built together. And let's be saying to God, yeah, build me in that much more strongly to your church so that you can be playing your part to the full in what he wants to do amongst us. Who's Paul writing to? Just take a step back a second. To remember, of course, he's writing to those, he says in, in chapter 1 and verse 8, he's two, 2 verse 8, he's writing to those who have been saved by faith. In other words, people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ to 
find reconciliation with God the Father. People who have consciously said to, said to God, look, I recognize that not everything about me is right. I need your forgiveness in order to become one with a perfect, holy, pure God. Please forgive me for all that's wrong as I give myself to following you. That's the people that Paul's writing to. And that may or may not be you this morning as you listen in here or online. And if it's not you, I want to encourage you to to be mindful, to be thinking about that in particular. Is this the time for you to be saying to God, I haven't actually made that commitment, but now's the time. And I think for one or two of you, you know in your heart that that is what God is saying to you. If that is you, then please do speak to one of us later on today. We would love to be able to talk to you and to help you uh, to make that journey, to make the start of that journey for yourself. Paul says to the Corinthians, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. To the Ephesians, he describes them as a dwelling in which God lives. A dwelling in which God lives. He is present amongst us together, his people. And do you know what? It's always been his heart. This isn't something even new to the New Testament. This has always been the heart of God. In Numbers chapter 2, he instructs the people through Moses to make their camp around the tabernacle, which represented the very presence of God. And they were told where to, where to pitch their tents with him, God's presence, in the center. That was his heart to be central. And she says in Numbers 35, 24, 34, I am the Lord who lives among the people of Israel. So this isn't something new. This has always been the heart of God, to dwell amongst his people. We see it at the dedication of Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles 7. He says, when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. God again expressing his desire to dwell amongst his people. In the tabernacle, in the temple, in your body and mine. And then together, corporately, to be the dwelling place of God. You may or may not know, and I won't take a long time to describe it because we spoke about it before. But if you don't know, when we opened this very room as a place to be a place of worship, we had our kind of modern day equivalent of Solomon's temple experience. Where lightning literally hit the building where somebody who was visiting had been spoken to by God during that week, nothing to do with us, to say, I'm going to demonstrate my presence and blessing with these people with signs in the sky. And then that was what happened. And as we met together to open this building officially, the presence of God was so strong that the mayor at the time, who was a public speaker professionally, was unable to speak for quite some time because of the very presence of God Almighty. God is amongst us. And he's been here ever since. Last week, two newcomers I had conversations with afterwards. One of them said, as soon as I walked in, I started to cry. And I knew I'd come home. And the other said, the purity in this his place is so strong, I don't touch it. God's with us. He's always wanted to be amongst his people. It's always been his heart. Nothing's changed. We went to visit some, some friends, Stephen and Sarah Kane, a little while ago. 
and uh, the dog was getting really excited. I like dogs, and dogs get excited around me, and because uh, I pay them lots of attention. And uh, they said, no, 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 please ignore the dog, because we're trying to train the dog appropriately as a puppy. We're trying to train it, so please ignore the dog. And I was preparing for this morning. I thought, Do you know what? It's a bit like that. We can be a bit like that with God and his presence. We can kind of ignore the presence. He's always there. The dog was always there. We had to ignore him. And we can consciously acknowledge God amongst us. And did you notice, I think most of you did, because I could feel the feedback. Just a moment ago, when I acknowledged God's presence amongst us, there was a whoa. And there he is again. See, we acknowledge, Lord, you're here. You're walking amongst us. And we're not going to ignore you. And carry on as if you weren't here. See, ridiculously, really, he kind of allows us to do that. I don't understand quite why. Of course, sometimes he breaks in despite ourselves. But largely, he responds to our hearts because he doesn't impose himself. So when we stop and recognize and acknowledge him, he's delighted to be here. It's always been his heart. But it's somehow, ridiculously, within our ability to ignore him as well and to carry on as if he wasn't here. And we don't want to do that. God dwelling amongst us. Now the thing then is, well, what does he do when he's amongst us? What does he want to do? We're going to look at a couple of things on that this morning. He empowers us, essentially. He enables us to live the life that he's called us to and to be the people together that he wants us to be. Read some verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I apologize, I forgot to put them on the PowerPoint. Um, so I'll have to read and you'll have to listen extra carefully. This is 1 Corinthians 12 verses from verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Notice it's to each one. To one there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages, and to still another the interpretation of those languages. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. And then verse 29 to 31. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? To all work miracles? To all have gifts of healing? To all speak in tongues? To all interpret? He hasn't actually written, but of course what he's saying is, of course not. But eagerly desire the greater gifts, he goes on to say. If you look in Romans chapter 12, there's a whole... Another load of different ways of supernaturally serving God that are listed there. Serving, teaching, encouraging, giving generously, leadership, mercy. There is a massive variety of different ways in which the Holy Spirit anoints his people 
to live for him and serve him and for him to work through you and me. And notice it's to each one. It's to every single one of us that this applies. There's this enormous variety. Now, in those first verse that we read, uh, Paul talks about gifts, service, and working. Just unpack that for a little moment to help us to understand. Gifts is the, is the word charisma. That is the spiritual gifts as we kind of most often think about such things. The supernatural abilities that he then lists and we read about. Service is something a little bit different. It's actually the same word that's used for an attendant, like a, in the old, old days at the garage, you had a petrol pump attendant, or a, a waiter at a restaurant, somebody who is serving, who is attending to the needs of others. Our refreshments team, thank you. You are serving, you are attending the people of God in serving in that way. That's wonderful. And there can be a real anointing on service. You know, when somebody has a, a God-given gift, there's something that gets conveyed in even, I shouldn't really say even, but I will, I just said it, even the act of serving a drink or a pastry, something God can be doing things in that because there's grace and gift engaged and involved. And then the third word that Paul used was working. That's the word from which we get the word energy. It's about act, being active. It's being efficient. Um, it made me think of the people who are going to be active next Saturday on the Crafty Christmas team. Or uh, the, the guys who served in an extraordinary way during the online church season, which I hope we won't have to come back to, um, and made all of that happen. Phenomenal. Thank you again so much. Energy and working and making things happen. But you see, all of these are areas of anointing, ways in which God works through his people to make things happen in a way that goes beyond the natural ability to a God-given supernatural ability. There's another dimension to it. In the Old Testament, there's a guy called Bezalel, and God says of him, I filled him with the Spirit, and you think, you wonder kind of what's going to come next. Is, is it going to be some kind of amazing preaching gift? No, I filled him with the Spirit, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. Did you know that? It's right there in the Bible. To make artistic designs, to cut and set stones, to work in wood. And for some of you, that is an area of God-given anointing that you have practical abilities that I most certainly don't have. You might know that already. But God's given you something. And actually, things happen through you. Because God's at work. It goes beyond the natural. And there's a supernatural dimension to it all. We can encourage each other, you know. Just stop and think for a minute. Okay, who do you know who you think, actually, they have a, a God-given ability in that kind of working, that kind of craft, that kind of practical working. Just see who, who might God bring to your attention. And will you make an, a mental note, say, okay, I'm going to encourage them and tell them that, that I see that in you. I see God working in you in that way. John Barford, you're right in front of me. You are one of them. Amazing. This guy made this building happen. Did you know that? A long time ago. That was the grace of God on him and given as a gift to us. David played his harp in the Old Testament, and what happened? Did he make nice music? Well, yes, I expect he did, 
But actually, Saul got got released from spiritual oppression of demons because David plays his harp. You think, how does that work? It's the anointing of God. It's the very presence of God coming through his people. So there are many different gifts, services, and workings. There's endless variety. Don't discount yourself. God has gift and grace on you to use you beyond your natural abilities in ways that then will bless others and see his kingdom come. There are many different spiritual gifts specifically, and we read about some of them. Let's make a couple of points. First of all, they're many and different. Um, Every believer has a spiritual gift. Verse 7, to each one gifts are given. We've covered that already. Paul says in chapter 14 and verse 5, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues or, or spiritual languages. And I just felt to underline that this morning, that if, that's, if you're a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus, but you're not yet using that gift, God wants you to step into it. Because it's something that he, Bible tells us is to strengthen ourselves. It's the one spiritual gift that particularly is for that purpose. And so if you're not being strengthened in your spirit by that spiritual activity of the spirit in you as you speak in a spiritual language, then you're not coming into the strength and maturity fully that God wants you to. It's part of our armory, if you like. And so let me encourage you to, to ask God and to step out. Often, for people who struggle with that, do you know what you need to do? It's really technically difficult. You have to start doing it. It's actually, and for me, it was cold-blooded as that. Um, but that's, that's how it often is. So don't wait passively for something to kind of fall on you occasionally God does it that way for people, but usually, actually, we have to start speaking, and then it flows. It flows. Okay. So, God decides who has what. Just running through some short points here now. Uh, Just as he determines, we read in verse 11, the gifts are given. That's in his hands. Not in our hands, that's in his hands. Um, And we leave it to him and receive what he gives to us. Um, It is to strengthen the church. It's for the common good, we read and for the strengthening of the church. It is to empower us to witness. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That might be witness through, it will be witness simply through who you are in your life. It will be witness through things that God calls you to do. It will be witness through things that he calls you to say. It will be witnessed through things he calls you to pray, as he then does things in answer to prayer. I was uh, playing golf just this week uh, with a friend of mine, and he's not a Christian, and uh, I think it was the fourth hole, he suddenly gets real significant pain in his, in his stomach, uh, which it turned out he had before. I was quite concerned about him. And uh, he had to stop playing, and that was the end of the game. And, uh, but I said to him, you know, I, I can pray for you. And I could see on his face that he was on the one hand pleased that I would, but on the other hand definitely didn't want me to do it then. Um, and so I, uh, so I said, I'll pray for you as you go to your car. And so he, he went off and, and I prayed and I've messaged him since and he, he did get better, but we'll find out what's going on. But I thought, is that a coincidence that that he said it's happened only on occasion before. Was it coincidence that it happened with me at that moment? No, I don't think it was. I think that was an opportunity that God gave to 
rather than just saying, okay, well, I hope you're okay soon, to actually say, you know, can I pray for you? And just to take that simple step. It's to empower us to witness. And it is to glorify Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus. The Jesus of the Spirit said, he will bring me glory. John 16, 14. That's part of the Spirit's job. And so we're in this for his honor and glory, aren't we? We want to see him work for his glory. Let's remember a couple of things, then we're going to pray together. We'll pray for each other as well. Remember, he's invited, not imposed. So we acknowledge him, we welcome him, we don't ignore him. He's available to all believers, he flows from within. We're to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. That's a biblical instruction in chapter 14, verse 1. And I wonder if, to what extent, we fulfill that instruction. I think today is a day he's calling us back again. Say, okay, Lord, I maybe haven't been eagerly desiring, but I'm going to. I'm going to come to you again. I'm going to ask and I'm going to eagerly desire so that I can bless those around me, so that you can use me in every way that you want.